My name is Rick, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so grateful that you chose to come today where we can together worship and adore our amazing God. We're going to open up the Bible today. We're going to again uh, continue our journey while we're reading and learning about the God that we find in the Bible. To help us stay focused and encourage participation, I'm using the book, The Story. I'm not sure how many of you have picked that up, but we've sold quite a few or given some away. And as you read through these chapters, are you starting to maybe see God through a different lens? Are you beginning to get drawn to this amazing, loving, gracious, merciful God? I hope so. The story begins in a garden where everything was so perfect for a while. For a while. Well, you know the story. Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and do their own thing, thinking that they were smart enough and wise enough, and it just spiraled downward from there on. Well, in spite of our broken world, God decides to create a nation where he could live and interact. Even this morning, as I was praying, I was so grateful that God did not give up on us back then. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be so? I mean, just think of it. You, you make a perfect environment. You have a perfect situation. The scenarios are all, oh, anything you could imagine. And you put a loved one in that situation. And they trust you for a while. And then decide that this isn't good enough. I'm sure God was hurt. At that moment, God raises up Moses, who leads Israel to another garden. But again, the Israelites refuse to enter. Eventually, after 40 years, Joshua leads them to the promised land and sets them up well to succeed. But Israel didn't do well over the next 330 years. Last week, we focused on the book of Judges. But in that book, for those during that time period, they basically spiraled downward, repeating the cycle of disobedience, misery, repentance, well, and eventually rest and peace before it started over again. It was during this dark chapter of Israel's life that Ruth the Moabite shows up. Instead of violence, anarchy, and lawlessness, we see tenderness, love, and sacrifice. So very, very different. Let's pray before we see how God works in some extreme times of pain. Father, we do come before you, and we know that you are an amazing God. And I'm sure you are puzzled more than once on why we don't listen better. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible, which teaches us, each one of us, who you are, 
how much you care and how much you desire a relationship with each one of us. We pray that you would open our eyes to one of the most unique stories in all the Bible today. And we pray that we would leave different people. That we would see you clearer. We pray that not only for all who are here, but for all those who are worshiping right now, sitting in churches all over town, all over the states, all over our world, worshiping you, adoring you. God, would you build your church? In Jesus' name, amen. Let me try and paint a picture for you. If you have your Bibles or screens, would you open up to Ruth chapter 1? Now, in the story that we have been um, working on, the story that started back at the garden, we're literally in chapter 9. And we are trying to, again, help each one of us see this God, this amazing God, with different spectacles. Well, Ruth gets introduced to us rather quickly. Open your Bibles, Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to read first two verses. If you don't have the scripture, you can follow along on the screen behind me. In the days when the judges ruled Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malin and Kilion. They were Ephraites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. During the time of Judges, this married couple, Elimelech and Naomi, along with their two sons, they moved to Moab. Now, if you're not too familiar with geography, this may not mean very much to you, but they were living in Bethlehem. They were living in the promised land. They were living in, in spite of the tough times that were going on, they were God's people living in God's land. A couple of things jump out at me. First of all, there was a famine in Israel. When you live in an agricultural society, Famines are big deals. They're still big deals. But somehow in our world, we can quickly get some fruit from South America or really all over the world in some amazing ways. But what happens here is if you don't have a crop, you don't eat. And oftentimes in the Bible, when famine came, God was trying to get well, a nation's attention. That doesn't mean that there's always judgment anytime hard times come into our lives, because it's not so. But in this case, Israel certainly was running from God. It was a bad time. They did absolutely what was right in their own eyes, and they really put God on the sideline for a whole lot of time. Then there's this guy, Elimelech. Elimelech. We actually don't know much about him. So I'm actually going to try to be gracious and kind, but what we do know about him should bother us a little bit. 
all right? First of all, he takes his family, who was relying on him, and moves them to a pagan country that, at well, even in its best years, in its best years, the country was hostile to Israel. And you can read that all the way through. This was a country that basically hated Israel. Now we look at this and we say, well, you know, don't be too hard on the dad. I mean, the family's not being provided for. Don't you think that it would be wise just to go to a place where at least they'll be able to get some crops and be able to feed his family and maybe start over? Well, at least at this time, God was really clear on how special Israel was and why they were in the promised land and how he was going to protect them. The reason they were not getting food is because of disobedience. And so it feels to me like Elimelech is just saying, well, you know what, God, I get it. I'm just not going to stay here. I'm going to do my own thing. You may remember this, but Moab, the start of Moab resulted in or from an incestuous relationship with Lot's older daughter. Remember Abraham and Lot, they, they set out and came to this promised land. And you can read some of the sad story in the scriptures, but, but Moab came from this ungodly relationship. If you read any more about the Moabites, they worshipped a god named Shemash. Shemash was um, a god somewhat like Baal, if you're somewhat familiar with Baal. But Shemash went a little bit further and, and went into gross human sacrifice. Moab was under God's curse. And Elimelech knowingly left this nation that at least understood who God was, wasn't always following God, went to a nation that was basically an enemy and worshipped an atrocious God. This poor choice happened during the dark time of Judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. God was still trying to establish a holy nation. But this nation didn't care about God too much. Well, the story actually gets worse. Elimelech dies. His sons marry Moabites, and ten years later, the sons die. Let's look at this. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpha, and the other married, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both uh, Malan and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. She's in a foreign land. It's a pagan culture. The future is bleak. Can you even imagine a situation like this where literally you have lost all of your family? Oh, Naomi continued to have some frank conversations with God. But I think at this moment the conversations became a little bit more desperate. 
You know, I do believe that Naomi had a rich relationship with God. But if you, again, can go back into this culture, she was very much a pawn in this patriarchal culture. Everything focused on the father of a family. And so if a father wanted to move, she really had no choice. Her second best situation would be to, well, live with her sons. Her sons are now gone, so that leaves her in a foreign country, a place probably she really didn't want to be in, with two ladies, Orpha and Ruth. Well, that's about all the history we have. We can probably fill in some blanks, but we don't know how the boys died. We don't know how soon they died. We know this, is that Naomi was struggling. And she had two young widows. Well, she finally decides, you know what, I'm going to take the girls and we're going to move back to Bethlehem. We're going to go back home. Uh, Deborah Wilson, would you read Ruth chapter 1, starting at verse 6 for us? And then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. 
Is it really Naomi, the women asked? Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's been well over 10 years, and, and Naomi hears this famine is, is over in Israel. So they begin the journey back. Three women traveling alone in this culture. Not wise, but at this moment in their lives, they just weren't thinking right. They wanted to be able to get back home. Naomi finally comes to her senses and encourages the gals to go back home. Our future is certainly uncertain. Israel, you know, is not good for any foreigners, and you're a Moabite, and let's be honest, you will not be treated well. Naomi's self-interest, which clouded her judgment, eventually was clearing up. As you heard the scene, they're all embracing, they're all crying, and Orpha does leave. But Ruth declares her love and loyalty. It is an epic reply. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Now again, it's so hard to understand what's going on in this culture. But Naomi must have been quite the woman. She must have been quite the mother-in-law. We hear some desperation from her here. But at least for 10 years, these women, both of them, Orpha and Ruth, saw Naomi and her faith. They saw how she worshipped God. And they fell in love with Naomi's God. Well, they started back together, Ruth and Naomi. And and when when Naomi walks into Bethlehem, the crowd gets excited. They heard that, oh, Naomi's back. They also quickly heard of Naomi's despair. That must have been quite a shock because when Naomi left, she was so full. She was bubbly. She was so excited. Life was good for her. And she comes back with none of her family and a Moabite young woman. Naomi had to have land because we know that later it was redeemed 
which means he probably had a home, which probably means that it's been dormant for 10 years or 15 years or however many years that she's been gone. Can you imagine walking into this house with Ruth, the memories, and then trying to even make a life? None of them had money. None of them had a job. There was no security I'm sure there were a lot of tears. Finally, the scripture tells us that Ruth suggests that she begins to glean. Now, what is gleaning? It's something that a gracious God implemented. It's, well, a time where, at least in this case, the widows or the poor would follow along the harvesters. And if the harvesters didn't harvest everything, which according to the law they weren't supposed to, then these folks would come and gather up the grain so at least they could live another day. It doesn't sound like a very great job, but for these two ladies it probably was the only thing they could do. The Scriptures tell us in chapter 2, verse 3, as it happened, Ruth ended up in the field of Boaz. Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. As it happened, I love that, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Boaz was this godly, older gentleman. He also was a relative. Boaz was both cheerful and caring as you read through these scriptures. But Boaz has a sharp eye and he notices Ruth. And he calls his foreman over and says, uh, Hey, who's the new worker? Who, who's that new young lady that's gleaning in her fields? And the foreman knew. and said, well, that's that's Ruth. That's the young woman from Moab. She's the one that came back with Naomi. Well, Boaz graciously invites her to glean only from his field and to drink from his cold water, his well, his igloo. And you know what I find a little interesting? When Ruth finds out about, about all this, we hear a little bit of her personality. I call her a little bit of her spunkiness. But what she says is, hey, why? Why are you gracing me? Why are you kind to me? Why are you doing this? I don't deserve this kindness. I'm a foreigner. I know how you guys treat foreigners. Ruth chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And this is what Boaz says. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you have left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. This woman had great faith. She was rather young in understanding this whole God and Yahweh, but she knew this, and Boaz knew it also, that she was going to come back to the land of Israel 
and she was going to trust God to be provided. Oh, but there is a spark. An older man, a younger lady, even though she's a Moabite. And basically what Boaz says is, hey, Ruth, why don't you not only glean in the fields, but why don't you come and eat with all the workers? I'd like you just to be part of this whole situation. Well, the workers then are instructed to drop extra grain. Oh, yeah. He pulled them all together. It was a huddle, and Boaz just got his workers and says, Hey, guys, I just want you to know, over there, Ruth, if she's gleaning behind you, this is what I want you to do. You take a nice big clump of grain, throw it over your shoulder. Just let it lay there on the ground. We don't even want her to have to pick it. We just want her to get it. Now again, okay, Boaz, you're the boss. It doesn't seem like we're going to get a very good crop at this moment, but we're going to listen. Wow. Ruth returns, and Naomi is shocked. She is literally shocked. She cannot believe all the grain. She said, this is crazy. How did you get all this grain? Where did you... Ruth, you didn't steal anything, did you? (laughs) No. I was in this field, and Boaz, the owner, was so gracious to me. And in Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, it's a key verse in this whole book. This is what... Naomi said, may the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness. I'm going to stop there. Because this kindness, the word in Hebrew is hesed. It is the word that describes God more in the Old Testament than any other word. It means gracious kindness, overflowing kindness. And this is the same word that she uses here. He is showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Or in some of your Bibles, it would be kinsman redeemer. And we may not, again, understand this whole thing, but, but the idea was this, is if in this culture, if for some reason a brother or a male died, again, the females would have a tough time making it. And what would happen is that a brother who was alive or a relative who was alive would then marry or provide for that family by redeeming the land, redeeming and taking her as a wife and literally starting a family with her so that the name would go on. Now in this case, Boaz is showing hesed. It is so cool. And he is, the Hebrew word for this is goel, or the kinsman redeemer. This is amazing. Again, we find out in Leviticus and Numbers all that God did to set this up. But Boaz is showing us and picturing for us what God does for each one 
of us. Naomi learns about this, and they have this conversation back and forth. And basically, Naomi says this, Hey, Ruth, let's stick with him. I like the benefits. We get grain. He's going to protect you. So Naomi has an idea. Ruth chapter 3, starting at verse 1. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time I found you a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do what I tell you, Ruth. Take a bath. (laughs) I think that's funny. Uh, Ruth, you stink. Uh, Take a bath. All right, we got, we got to set this up well. Put on some perfume and dress in your finest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Isn't that the truth for guys? You know, when their bellies are full, all right, th- this is what I'd like you to do. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet. <laughs> And lie down there. He will tell you what to do. And Ruth goes, I will do everything you say. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. To us, this is odd. This is very odd, all right? But we're trying to jump into a culture. I'm sure Ruth understood I'm sure Naomi told Ruth all that she was doing. She understood this completely, but she had faith in Naomi. Okay, Naomi, if you think this is best, well, the plan worked the way that God intended it to work. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. All right. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. About midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. And this is so odd. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. And this is Boaz's reply. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed, shouted, whatever. You are showing me even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. And let me just say this. This this is a little odd. I get this. But the bottom line is, is that she did not do anything seductive here. She literally was basically saying, I am available, Boaz. I am not only available, I'm kind of interested, Boaz. Marry me. She was not cutting any kind of corners here. She wanted Boaz to know. I don't know if 
Boaz was shy. I don't know if Boaz thought maybe she would say no. But Ruth wanted to make sure he got the message. Boaz is excited. Ruth returns home. And Naomi's words to Ruth as you read this story is, Hey, Ruth, be patient. I know Boaz. Boaz will do everything he can. He's going to do everything right. He's going to treat you the way that a woman ought to be treated. So Boaz does go to the town gate. Again, an odd place, but in that culture, in Bethlehem, that's where all of the official business happened. And with integrity became the kinsman redeemer. What does Boaz get? Boaz gets some land. Boaz gets a wife. And soon, Boaz gets a son. In Ruth chapter 4, starting at verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Whoa. No way. I mean, she was pretty amazing. But again, in that culture, sons is what you want. Now, a few of you don't have a whole lot of sons. I get this. And it's okay now. I just want you to know. All right? (laughs) Back in this day, though, if you ended up with six, seven, eight, ten girls, whew, that would be trouble. So for her to be able to get this kind of encouragement, Ruth is way better, not only even than one son, Ruth is way better than two. Ruth is better than a family of sons. Ruth is amazing. You see, God is so gracious. He shows hesed. Now, I'm not sure if some of you understand this whole story, but his son's, or or Ruth's son's name is Obed. And Obed fathers a guy named Jesse. And Jesse has a son whose name is David. All from a Moabite. Whoa. And we're going to get back to that in a second. You know, something I was thinking about this. So many times our lives look so dark and so dim. And, and we don't understand God. We don't understand the journey. And we don't understand some of the tragedies. And we don't understand why God is allowing certain things to happen to each one of us. And I look at this, and sometimes, because of our lack of faith, we get bitter at God. And because we don't understand how wonderful God is, we get mad at God. And I think every one of us do at times. But the way that I see it is almost by looking at a tapestry. 
And up on the screen, you're going to see a picture of a tapestry. Now, actually, neither one of them really wow you, in my opinion, but you'll get the idea. The front of the tapestry is that birdie, all right? At least there's something up there. You can kind of recognize it. But if you would flip that tapestry around, the back end looks like that. What a mess. God, why did you put that string? Why did you put that thread in my life? What's going on, God? Don't you understand? And God said, I needed that thread in your life. And you may not understand it, but I'm going to turn this picture around someday. And every one of those threads are going to make sense. You know, there's a lot to look at in this story. There really is. We, each time we, we go through a text, we look at the upper story and we look at the lower story. Well, in the upper story, we're learning about who God is and trying to understand Him a little bit better so that during our journey, we might be able to get to know Him and trust Him better. But God redeems. Boaz is a beautiful picture of what God does for us. He takes people who are unworthy. He graces them and provides for them and gives them a home and gives them a future. That's our God. Our God desires to, again, redeem each one of us. God oftentimes makes something beautiful out of something ugly. I can't imagine how Naomi felt when Elimelech died. And then when one son died. Or maybe both of them died at the same time. I don't know. But what hope is there? What do we do? How are you going to take care of us, God? I'm in Moab. Lord. But somehow... Naomi, going back, going back home, being obedient, and watching God provide. God is hesed. God is gracious. God is merciful. But if we look at the lower story and we see again some of the things literally that we can get for us, God is still loving and faithful when it's dark. That's one of the hardest things in all of the world to not only explain, but to believe. As I look around, I know that there's some people who have gone through some really hard stuff. Things that seem so unfair. Seems that thing, things that seem so unjust. And we often feel at this moment that God doesn't care or that God isn't around. But God is around. I can't even imagine as you, sometimes Naomi is considered the female Job. But if you read in the first chapter of Job, Job was a godly man. He walked with God. We know this in the first few verses. 
And then all of a sudden we find out that there's this conversation between Satan and God, and, and Satan causes great despair in Job's life. He literally loses all of his sons and daughters, all of his possessions, all of his livestock. And in verse 19 of chapter 1, Job says this. He ripped his clothes, fell on his face, and worshipped God. And i got to be honest. That would not be my situation. If I Walked down from this pulpit and found out Kara and Josh, they're gone. All my grandkids are out of here. My house is burned down. My beautiful truck has a tree just run on it. I mean, just fall on it. The only thing I've left is Sharon, and that was a good thing. But I'm going to rip my clothes, fall on the ground, say, I praise you, God. But that's what I want. I I want you to know that's what your pastor wants. Is that I would know God so much that it does not matter at all what happens to me in my life. I know my God, I can trust. I know I can go to him. I know I don't see it. I know it looks like the back of the tapestry for me. It looks like a mess. But God, you are walking with me. I know I'm going to despair, but I want you to know you are enough for me, even if I lose everything. You know what's really cool? Is that Ruth wanted Naomi's God, even at Naomi's worst. Really. Isn't that cool? I think of sometimes single moms. Wow, I think that's a hard hard place to be. I do. And, and single moms and single dads, just single parents, sometimes it's not at all even your fault. Sometimes it is. But how do you do this? God, wh- why did this happen? This is so hard. But even during those hard times, Naomi's faith came out. And to have a daughter-in-law say what she did in chapter 2. You know what? Where you go, I'm going to go. Don't leave me. I just want what you have. I want your God. I want... To be with you. That's what I want. Oh my. You have so much influence. I think this, too, is obedience is costly. You know, redeeming Naomi was costly. It really was. Yes, you have another mouth to feed. You have another wife. You have some more land to plant and to plow. But it was the right thing to do, and Boaz did the right thing. How cool is that? And more than anything that shouts, as I, as I close up, God's plan included Rahab and Ruth. Hey, wait a minute, Rick. Where, where's this Rahab person come in? I, I, some of you have read. Again, it was a little bit earlier in Joshua. 
But remember, Rahab was a harlot. And she was in Jericho. And she was the one that hid the spies. Do you remember that? And the very first thing that Joshua did is march around Jericho and defeat Jericho. But there was one family that was redeemed or was saved because there was a scarlet cord that ran down from her window. And that was the house of Rahab. Rahab began to follow this almighty God of Israel. And Rahab's son was named Boaz. Folks, both outcasts, but God's plan. God's plan included outcasts. But outcasts that loved God with all their hearts. You know, those who understand grace I have found are the ones who love to give grace. Those who have been beat up, those who have learned to trust God, those who have experienced God's generosity, love to be generous to God. That's our God, a Redeemer, the one that desires a relationship with each one of you, the one that no matter what your past is, wants to give you life, abundant now and eternal later. What an amazing God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for Ruth. I have no idea, Father, how she felt throughout this whole scenario. But I know this is that once she connected with Naomi and Naomi began to talk about you, her life changed. She just wanted that God and she was going to trust you and she was going to literally leave everything that was safe for her to be with Naomi and to provide and care for her. Oh God, this is an amazing story because you were part of it. We thank you. We thank you for that. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.